in the 11FS office in WeWork Devonshire Square for episode 79 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you, is it finally time to build, biddle, build, whatever, um, stablecoins, stablecoins, and more stablecoins, and some 51% attacks. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. All right. I said we are here in the opening, but actually it's Petra and Alex and me in the room. Colin G. Platt is by his field once again. How is the field? Uh, it is cold. It is very cold here today. <laughs> and, and the banks aren't working. Wow, yeah. The, so it seems like the world of fiat has finally gone down 10 years after the launch of Bitcoin. Yeah. Um, it, 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 this, is, this is Bitcoin's rise to supremacy. France has it. no ATMs. This is, well, at least BNP Paribas has no ATMs. So that must be Bitcoin's doing. So for context, if you haven't been following the news, people, uh, yes, the BNP Paribas is down in France on the 8th of January 2019, um, and people can't get their money, yo. Um, but if they I'm just glad have I have the, HSBC. <laughs> but, but, it, but if they had their own uh, ledger wallet in Bitcoin, then eventually, within three hours, they'd be able to have their money through a Bitcoin transaction. So there they go. Oh, um, there you go. Good thing it's not ETC, though. <laughs> yes, indeed, because we'll come on to the ETC uh, drama that has been happening. Before we just summarize a little bit, if you weren't listening to our 2019 predictions show, um, there has been a slew of predictions stories this week. You should go back and check out episode 78 because I thought it was quite good. Colin, how about you? I thought it was excellent. Yes, we ranted and rambled about what 2019 was going to have. Um, and this one comes from Wall Street Journal and Paul Vigna. Uh, his crypto's 2019 goal, technology people can actually use. And he quotes Andy Bromberg, who we actually had ourselves on our own show. Ha ha. Good oh. enough for us and good enough for the Wall Street Journal. Um, he said, in 2017, the development of cryptocurrency technology took a backseat to getting rich. But crypto's next era has to be about how we can turn this technology into products people can use. Uh, for all the hype, Bitcoin and hundreds of other digital currencies that have popped up over the years are still largely usable only by developers. Whilst mo almost anyone can go online and find the tools to build an app for iOS and Android, building a similar app for Ethereum platform involves developing an entire suite of tools. On that last point, I don't know that that's true. I think actually Consensus and others have put some pretty decent tooling out there now. The developer tooling from Clover by Amber Balde and others uh, isn't bad. Like, it's not a developer tooling issue. It's that the platforms are that friggin' slow when they're permissionless or they're that bloody complex when they're permissioned that, that you just wouldn't pick this up and use it like you would Stripe.com or Twilio or something like that. I, I think that's part of it. I mean... It, it also should be kind of complicated at this point because there are a lot of complicated economic things into it, which we'll get into later. But I think that the bigger story is like, is it is this the year to be building while prices are down? Um, was last year the year to be building? I think it's it's still the, the bigger problem of, are these things really ready for prime time at the base? And I think a lot of people working on Ethereum will say, well, probably not really. And people from Bitcoin will say the same or any other technology. Um, and, and then the other kind of deeper question that a lot of people still haven't really gathered their heads around is what are these technologies inherently good at that no, that can't be achieved anywhere else? And I think a lot of what people are throwing or building on um, don't actually play to those strengths. They play to something else that could be delivered on a much more relevant technology, like maybe just basic web tooling. Yeah, and I think this is kind of the point, right? That Everybody knows that techie who goes, well, I could just do that with a database. And the best part about that is 
those people are right. For <laughs> like, you could just do a lot of stuff with classic technology, and, and the really clear articulation of when you use this stuff to its strengths is, is largely missing, uh, and that's kind of frustrating. But I, there, there's um, Nathaniel Whitmore uh, at NLW on Twitter. If you have your phone, I would recommend following this guy. Actually, archives the narratives and the changing narratives in the crypto community because we've actually seen in the last six to twelve months those have really started to twist and change and bend. For to Bitcoin as sound money to Web three, we've seen all of these sort of stories start to come out, and now the big hype is stable coins, which we'll come on to later. But actually, the narrative about what is this stuff good at, arguably the clearest, albeit the least sexy articulation, um, is uh, Richard Brown's, and that's um, no slur on his appearance. Um, but Richard, <laughs> Richard, <laughs> love you, Richard. Uh, shout out, Gandal. The I know what I see is the same as what you see um, problem is, is what he describes it when we are mutually distrust, distrusting actors. It needs something more articulate than that. And I think this is what Paul Vigneault was trying to do when they released the book called Trust Machine. This idea of uh, in a situation in which people who don't trust each other need to reach a, a consensus about a bunch of facts across organizational geographic boundaries. There's got to be a better way to say that. And I like what Andreessen Horowitz were trying to do with software, uh, trust as a software primitive. There's something in that. But I think Vitalik said it way better a couple of weeks ago, which is, let's get away from those highfalutin ideas and just talk about this as cryptography upgraded. Let's just talk about, like, I used to be able to tell you that this thing was true and I sign it. Um, I'm now able to tell you that this thing is no longer true and I have revoked that thing and have that point in time piece, which was always an issue. And maybe, maybe from that, we can start to build out. Absolutely. And those are incredibly powerful tools. Um, but I think in, until people stop saying buildle, like we still have a long way to go down. You mean you want an end to crypto memes? I, I, I No, I love crypto memes. <laughs> I just want an end to this particular like forced meme. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, sure, you you got to ship product. But the irony is the amount of people shouting about how you need to ship product um, that are not, not actually doing it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Biddle is sort of a, a byword for that. But, you know, now uh, now Coinbase are looking at potentially trademarking that. Then I think they, they should, dropped they should... that. Did they drop that? I heard they dropped that, like, very quietly. Would have been a great April Fool's joke. It really would. <laughs> All right, next story. Let's go from... This one comes from Coindesk.com. Seven legal questions that will define blockchain in 2019. And the seven questions are, will the SEC define sufficient decentralization? Will a crypto ETF be granted? Can blockchain systems comply with privacy regulations? Will international regulators work together? Will and can privacy coins be banned? Will we be able to regulate decentralized exchanges? And will developers be held responsible for violations of law? Do you want to take this one by one? Uh, let's do it. Sufficient decentralization. So this obviously came from um, Commissioner of the SEC, uh, William Hinman. Uh, made a speech talking about um, cryptocurrencies, blockchains, whether Ethereum was a security. He said that in his original speech that, in his opinion, it wasn't um, because Ethereum was sufficiently decentralized without actually explaining what that meant. Um, so naturally, everybody else in the world um, has also become sufficiently decentralized. I myself am sufficiently decentralized uh, and thus not a security. 
um, because we don't really know what that means. Um, but you know, I, I think it's an interesting concept that something can start being a security, and then all of a sudden, because uh, some test is passed, it's no longer security. Um, how and when that happens is something that uh, I know a few House resolutions in the U.S. Uh, have tried to tackle. Um, they've, I think, all been thrown out. Um, but there was we'll a thing where Colorado, who've um, I think tabled a bill to uh, legislate that um, ICOs would not be securities as well. There are moves to try and push push back on uh, some of the pieces, but I, I don't know how credible those moves are. Well, and and they're also at the state level, which and it's important in the United States to remember that there's there's 53 plus regulators, um, and so it, like when we talked about Wyoming, what was it, a year ago. Um, it's great that, you know, in the state of uh, roughly half a million people, they decide utility coins are a thing. Um, and in the state of Colorado, which is bigger, but still only, what, a couple of million people, it's great. And it's not where financial services lives yeah. either. Unless it was New York or California or, and, and Texas, it kind of doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, so will a crypto ETF be granted? I don't think it's going to happen in 2019. It may. Um, but, you know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. And the fact that uh, we're seeing things like uh, this e the ET stuff, TC stuff that we'll get into later, uh, is going to spook a lot of people. And it doesn't take a ton for the SEC to be spooked. And the other thing, let's not forget, we're still standing here. It may change. Uh, the government's still shut down. So who's going to mm -hmm. look at it? <laughs> well, yeah, that's a fair point. I guess the fundamental question of you can't prove that the underlying um, in this case, if we were going to qualify an ETF and make it happen, we can't prove that the management of that underlying is not subject to market manipulation either. Um, and so the burden of proof is still very much with the industry there to, to kind of make that happen. And it's not happened. And the US regulators, they didn't say it, but what they really want to see is they want to see enough volume coming through US based exchanges. Um, and if there's a problem, they go in and choke somebody. Yep. Alrighty. Can blockchain systems comply with privacy regulations? That is a good question. <laughs> um, I, I know a lot of people are looking at that. Um, the, the French came out and were clear for once in their lives um, <laughs> and actually said on the GDPR front, uh, there, were, there were a lot of problems. Um, they, they proposed the idea of destroying private keys as a way to um, answer to things like uh, data erasure um, and being able to update things is quite difficult. Um, I, we'll see. Uh, I think... Uh, the state of California is looking at putting in something that looks like GDPR. Um, that could complicate things further. Um, we'll see. There's, it's interesting that privacy preserving uh, uh, um, cryptography is also potentially falling foul of uh, privacy pres preserving that's, that's number five. Regulation. We're getting there. <laughs> uh, there's an irony there, right? There's, yeah. there's something really fun about that. Um, so... Uh, can, will international regulators work together? I think they are, right? I mean, they don't always agree, but like the the FSB have been fairly clear since the um, market, uh, since the bottom dropped out of the market, um, there's not been a lot to do on financial stability. Um, in terms of the guidance from FASF, I know that there's a lot of work going on there issuing new guidance that will filter down to the national level um, that comes in through the fifth anti-money laundering directive in the EU. Um, th there's... That I, I don't know that that's the issue in terms of will they get together on the short-term stuff around money laundering, around financial stability. I think the big one is investor protection. Will there be a coordinated approach there? And, and the flip side of it is really around the opportunity side. 
if we were going to get to um, what I've been terming truly global markets, the ability for something to trade uh, across multi collateral at multiple venues or assets at multiple venues and for those to move with far less friction. If we were to get to that nirvana, then we do need some sort of regulatory standard setting or, or collaboration. But I don't know that there's any solution in front of policymakers or regulators that would warrant the need to make that decision as yet. Um, so it just seems a little bit early. I don't think that's an issue. Do you? I, I don't think it's an issue. But what will be really interesting is if they do start cooperating, um, and, and Jenny Lung, the, the author, pointed this out, what's going to happen with all these places that tried to build themselves as like the new blockchain places, the, the Maltas, the Gibraltars, the, uh, the UK, uh, for that matter, that have tried to say, we want to have blockchain. Um, if everybody starts homogenizing everything, like, are people going to say, well, Malta's such a great place, let me just stay here, or I'm really enjoying Gibraltar. Um, if you've been there, you'll know why I'm saying that. Uh, I, I don't think so. Um, maybe maybe you'll stay in Singapore, maybe you'd stay in London. Um, yeah. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, you've got three broad approaches. You've got the US, which is everything fits in an existing bucket. You've got Europe, which is a wait and see. Um, and then you've got Asia, which is kind of the, like... Uh, either legislate or ban it, but sort of legislative heavy. Uh, and then you've kind of got these outlier smaller island nations in which you can grow a burgeoning industry. We saw this with the gaming industry and gambling, uh, online gambling and gaming. Uh, that did start to happen through those areas and then creep into the mainstream from there. Um, but I don't know that that's the route to legitimacy in the world of global financial services, nor is it the route to uh, getting money out of everybody's uh, bank account and creating a social revolution. So um, I think there's there's a better way of getting that stuff done. Social revolution, drink. <laughs> uh, will and can privacy coins be banned? Ah, here, here was your point. <laughs> this yeah. is uh, this is a, at odds. You know the things like Monero and Zcash that are trying to um, offer privacy inside these coins within a public blockchain. Um, a lot of uh, regulators, uh, Japan notably, have come out and said that they've got concerns about them. Uh, Zcash has come on at Gemini, which was and Coinbase, I believe, which was notable in that uh, those are the two more regulated exchanges in the U.S. Um, but they, you're only allowed to withdraw into uh, the public addresses inside Zcash. As far as I'm aware, Monero is not, not allowed on any of these major heavily regulated exchanges. It's interesting, isn't it, um, that uh, you've kind of got this, um, Vitalik pointed out, the signaling almost of Zcash and Monero are, are almost at odds. Uh, Monero appears to be, you know, kind of very clearly not on the major exchanges, whereas um, the, the likes of Zcash is, and the sort of the Zcash company executives, Zuko and others, seem to be very available to talk to regulators and to the press and everybody about the purpose of their coin, and therefore they don't get, they're not heavily used on dark markets, which is interesting. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, will we be able to regulate decentralized exchanges? Uh, we've already seen this happen, actually. Um, so we, we talked about last year, EtherDelta um, actually had a lawsuit against its creator, um, which gets into the next point that we're going to talk about. Um, we've also seen KYC rules, uh, Shapeshift very notably, um, putting in KYC, which was something that was unthinkable, especially from somebody like Eric Voorhees, the CEO of Shapeshift. Um, it, it's going to happen. Uh, maybe we can have more or sufficiently decentralized exchanges that where you can't really implement that. Um, but then I, I guess we have the model of Ether Delta where you just come back to the people that set it up. 
Alrighty. Um, will developers be held responsible for violations of law? I guess, yes, they will. Yes, um, they will. <laughs> uh, yes, they will. But therefore, what do developers need to do to protect themselves in the future? And what sort of um, legal entity structure do they need to be considering um, for uh, code that, uh, un unstoppable code? I think well, this goes back to the point you were making a second ago from from Vitalik. Is it's it's kind of setting the tone. If you're if you are coming out um, with your your real name, you set up a team and you say we're building this and it's going to be used for whatever um, highly illegal thing. Um, it, it's kind of hard to turn around in a lawsuit and say, well, actually, I didn't say that. Um, and I think when we've seen it, it's generally been those things. Augur is the one that's that will probably be the most interesting on this front, I believe. Um, but that may take a few years to pan out. If, if it ever really gets any traction. Got you. Alrighty, uh, let's move on to the next story because um, I guess that was a whole lot of predictions, but it was an excuse to rant about a lot of stuff. Um, but speaking of ranting about a lot of stuff, um, this story comes from the Nikkei. Um, Japan's Mizuho Bank are going to launch their own stablecoin by March 2019. This is a digital asset that will be pegged to the Japanese yen, thus joining the um, quote-unquote stablecoin category of cryptocurrencies. Um, and the planned stablecoin will be used for shopping and remittances at no costs. Um, retail shops who use the currency will be charged lower fees when compared to regular credit card transactions. Um, what, were your, what was your immediate reaction when you saw this story, Colin? Well, I, I did a lot of digging into this because uh, Petra put this in the notes and, and whenever it says stablecoin, I have strong feelings about them. Um, so I thought this would be interesting. Um, I, I'm not actually sure it uses a blockchain. I'm, I'm not sure that it is really a cryptocurrency. Um, it, it seems like um, an Alipay and I asked around a couple of people and it sounded like an Alipay type setup or um, a Venmo or something. Um, but yeah, that's Japan. I, and certainly for the consumer, that's kind of what it is. Um, I, as best I can tell, uh, I don't know that there's any token moving around here. I don't know that that token sits on, you know, it sits on a private key um, that is, you know, a wallet that's held by your device or that you're the custodian of or if they're the custodial wallet or if this really is a balance held um, as e-money at them, the issuer, and they've signed up a whole load of banks to launch, yeah, Japan's Alipay, Japan's uh, WeChat. Well, I know they publicly did some work with, with IBM on Fabric a while ago. Um, so there was some speculation in a couple of the articles that I saw from last year and, and in 2017 that it may be on that. But as far as I can tell, nobody from uh, Mizuhu has come out and said, yep, it's on a blockchain and it's on this particular thing and it is actually a cryptocurrency. It just seems like a lot of people that want that to be the case have speculated it in these articles. So I, I, that's not a problem if it isn't, if it's just e-money. Um, but, you know, as long as people use it. Well, so what's interesting is it's the result of a JCoin project. So um, Mizuho have been um, pursuing this for quite some time. They were looking at how could they have their own coin um, and what would they do with it. So I wonder if this is A, marketing, or B, there is a coin behind the scenes somewhere, and what's actually happening is uh, a push payment of, of the classic sense that like you would see with account-to-account um, -account clearing. Yeah, you know, uh, yeah, exactly, a Venmo type of proposition. Uh, the, the challenge with those is like people have tried to do Venmo for 
in-store retail payments and not have much luck. I think peer-to-peer -peer has done a little bit better, but bank-driven peer-to-peer is typically terrible. What you tend to find is these propositions work best if a, if a tech company builds it. Um, rather, there are some examples in Europe where that's not the case. You saw um, Vips and Swish and across the Nordic region. Um, I think there's, uh, I forget the name of the, the Dutch payment initiative. So there are some examples where banks have launched local peer-to-peer. -peer. Um, so maybe that could work in Japan. They, they don't really have that at scale equivalent to Alipay. So yeah, maybe this will happen. What I thought was interesting in the article was that they plan on linking it with Alipay and the, the plan of launching it now is ahead of the, the Olympics next year in Tokyo. Interesting. I, I suspect we'll see more. Uh, this could be, yeah, creative marketing and or it's one of those things where there's a blockchain on a server somewhere, um, just uh, just a lot managing log files. So technically it's got a coin. Um, who knows? And, and who knows? fits right in with your blog post there, doesn't it? It really does. Um, uh, already, um, this one comes from the block crypto. Um, Stablecoin projects are paying rebates to traders and it caused a big headache for the company Paxos, who we know have their own stablecoin. Um, so the summary here goes that in 2018, Gemini launched their own stablecoin. Um, and to spur adoption, Gemini offered their Gemini dollar to some OTC trading desks at a discount, meaning each $1 token could be bought for less than a dollar. Traders, of course, traders going to trade. Traders going to trade. Um, spotted an arbitrage opportunity in the deal where they could buy the discounted GUSD and then exchange it for the Paxos standard, Paxos stablecoin, at the full dollar price and pocket the difference. Ooh. <laughs> Cheap stablecoins, yay. Yay. Cheap coins. Um, <laughs> this was inevitable, right? <laughs> Especially if you're giving it to OTC desks. Like, um, yeah. What was really funny is there's there's this ongoing joke inside of uh, inside of crypto land about Gemini. They said the only two people that use Gemini are the two Vinkelvi. Um, <laughs> it's this was obviously their problem with with uh, the Gemini US dollar. Um, what was really interesting, and this is the fun thing about cryptocurrency, is everything you do is linked in very automatically with everything else. So that's why we're talking about Gemini and Paxos, which is another company. Um, there's a third company involved, and it's Wabi, the exchange. They have a um, it's a collateral pool, essentially. Basically, you can throw whatever kind of stablecoin you want in it. It's a stablecoin platform. So stablecoins on top of stablecoins on top of stablecoins to make another stablecoin. Um, yeah, don't even ask. But um, basically, okay. that's that's where you were sending in your your GUSD and you were pulling out your, your packs from the back. Um, that That is something that we've seen happen in the real financial markets during the crisis. Um, so it's fun to see that this happens just because people are trying to make a couple of cents on, on each trade. Um, not a great idea uh, for Gemini in, in the long run, but we'll see if it pays off. So, Broadly, can stablecoins ever work? I, I, well, I gave you my predictions uh, in, in the show. I, I think that they will gather a lot of money and they'll gather a lot of interest because the idea itself is not stupid. Um, but I think ultimately the economics will um, make them fall apart. Um, in the medium to long term. Is there any value in a bearer asset token issued by a central bank, central bank digital currency, um, that could be traded as a crypto token um, that looks and feels like physical cash but is digitally traceable? Uh, possibly inside of like a non-economically incentivized blockchain. 
i.e. Mm-hmm. inside of a corda or a fabric type thing or a fork of ether, uh, Ethereum, sorry, into something that looks like Quorum, possibly. Be- because if you had some logic that was shared across multiple counterparties, you could potentially uh, execute cash settlement um, that's, uh, that's held at a central bank and or uh, that is real world currency um, back and forth multiple times per day um, and allow the logic to do that. Yeah, and, and there's lots of ways you could implement that. I just think it, in particularly putting it like these coins out into the public Ethereum network is a um, massive catastrophe waiting to happen. You heard it here first, guys. Uh, Alrighty, this episode is brought to you by R3 Blockchain, not just for uh, Collins Field. Um, Tons of industries can reap major benefits. Insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive, you name it. Um, Discover the potential of blockchain for your business with R3's quarter platform. Uh, They offer privacy, interoperability, integration, and consensus, plus the mission-critical features that every complex business needs, including the world's only BAP, blockchain application firewall, not a tasty uh, sandwich unfortunately the quarter platform blockchain for every business in every industry head to r3.com for more info Alrighty, uh, next story comes from coindesk.com uh, crypto exchange kraken says u.s subpoenas becoming a barrier to entry um, so according to information tweeted Uh, by Kraken. Uh, Apparently, law enforcement and other inquiries it's received from various government agencies around the world have almost tripled year on year. Uh, The firm received a total of 475 subpoenas in 2018 compared to 160 in 2017, with the overwhelming majority coming from the US. Um, The UK came in second um, and Germany in third. Kraken tweeted, you can see why many businesses choose to block the US users. Thoughts here? UK always coming in second, right? Uh, I, I, well, it's it's ahead of France. Uh, you know, I guess if you want to be ahead of France in these things, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> um, and and by the way, the US is also winning, as we should point out. Um, I do love that everything official comes via tweet, but it is it's really interesting. Um, first, for a couple of different reasons on this. Um, first, what they did here, I've heard from a couple of people that are lawyers in this, is they might actually be like breaking the rules by tweeting stuff that's under a gag order. So great for them for doing it. Um, maybe long term may cause problems, but it's interesting for us to see it. Um, I, I, what I really thought was interesting in in this information they put out, they were talking about how how much of this information comes out in a really raw format from the regulators and the 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 IRS and the FBI and all these guys asking for information and it's really, really broad. Um, and so they have to go back and ask, what do they mean specifically and, and get these details. And if you ever worked in a bank and had to deal with that, and, and mm-hmm. I unfortunately have, um, that's really not unusual for them, um, but they just kind of learn to deal with it. And these guys are startups and they're trying to deal with it. Um, take that into the world of, of challenger banks where you spend time. That's gotta be a headache for them. Um, a barrier to entry possibly. Um, I don't know if that's something that can necessarily just be resolved automatically. Or, you know, maybe what would be great is if these guys would actually, instead of tweeting at the government and and calling them all assholes, actually sat down and spent some time with them and said, hey, we're happy to help you. Here's here's a window where you can come in and take the information you need yourself. Yeah, they've they've kind of got this um, 
adversarial position versus most governments, which sort of uh, wins some, yay, Bitcoin, yay, um, smash the state, um, yay, we don't need no stinking government, um, anti-establishment crowd behind it. Um, but at the same time, doesn't position them well um, should they find themselves the wrong side of a, of a law in a jurisdiction which they operate. Um, a lot of this is about relationship building. Uh, and if you are committed to you know uh, transparency and fairness, which I find it hard to find somebody who isn't committed to those things and operates a business, um, then this kind of behavior is just, just odd, really. Now, I get it. Like, it, it's hard to run a regulated business, but some stuff should be hard. Like, making billions of dollars shouldn't just be um, something you can do by creating a website. It should be hard. It, it probably should be hard, and that's also, like, kind of locked in everything else and the way you run these businesses. What what I find really interesting is, like, just the irony of the name of Kraken and, and this whole story of, like, uh, I've got Kraken, uh, Kraken, the actual monster up here that was basically supposed to be so large and fearsome that uh, nobody's going to mess with it. Um, so it's funny that they're talking about barriers to entry. <laughs> <laughs> <It's just me. laughs> Indeed. It, it does feel like there's the bear market on and now they're having a moan, um, which is which is quite sad, really, because there's, there's surely other things to look at. Um, now, I get it. Regulatory pressures um, may not always be perfectly targeted, and you don't want to spend your life running around after really vague requests. Um, but but a better way to deal with that is to have a, a massively you know spend time on figuring out ways to make that go faster, and um, I'm sure the regulators would appreciate that too. Speaking of which, story comes from the Telegraph in the United Kingdom. The City Watchdog are now targeting some Bitcoin dealers. Um, currently investigating the FCA, the Financial Conduct Authority, is currently investing uh, investigating. 18 companies with connections to cryptocurrency transactions said uh, it's opened the inquiries into uh, 67 firms um, and nearly two thirds of those investigations have been launched since May. Um, of the inquiries that have been closed, four out of five triggered warnings to the public about those companies involved. Wow, that's a high ratio. So they've worked their way through 67 companies and issued warnings to the public about those companies. It, it really talks to you know the FCA's mandate around investor protection and the lack of self-policing and some of the daftness that was in, you know, the reason Facebook had to ban advertising was because people were putting stupid things out as adverts that just, you know, it was a gold rush and people said stupid things. This shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It's I, I just find it disappointing once again that, like, it's a year after the fact. And like, yes, 67 is a big number, but we all saw it as it happened. Um, and we talked to the people that are doing these things, like not the people involved in the actual investigations. They knew it was happening. Um, like four out of five is a lot. And that to me is a big signal that they should have pulled their fingers out and jumped in the stuff in mid 2017 and said, look, there is something coming. But once again, it's just showing that the regulators are always the ones, you know, cleaning up the blood after the scene of the accident rather than being there to, to regulate things before it happens. So investor protections are great and I'm, I'm still a staunch proponent of investor protections. Um, but, you know, FCA, quit being such lazy bastards and get to work. <laughs> get to work, people. There's the, uh, there's the the controversial quote of the day. You, you gotta make it work. Colin wants to see you hit it. Get after it. Uh, get it's after 2019. It. Get on it. New, New Year's resolution, get on it. Regulating uh, <laughs> <laughs> regulated treadmill. <laughs> 
Uh, next story comes from Bloomberg.com. Tesla's stock on a blockchain apparently offers a hint of where crypto is headed. Uh, so there's a digital exchange opening uh, that will enable to in- investors to trade in companies, including Apple, Facebook, Tesla. You can even trade outside of the US when stock markets are closed. Uh, apparently each digital security is backed by one regular share and holders will be entitled to the same cash dividends even though the companies themselves aren't involved um the company says it's licensed by the estonian financial intelligence unit uh with full authorization to operate inside the european union um just before we get on to this estonia estonia why has that been in the news estonia oh yeah danske bank and 200 billion of money laundering that's that's where they've got regulated Hey, you know, they don't call it the, the Baltic laundromat for nothing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what's really interesting is, you know, like when you let off with this, what they put in the article is they're saying um, you can trade the, the companies. Um, you're not actually trading the companies. You're trading a, CF, a CFD, a contract for difference that's linked to it and you get paid dividends, but you don't actually own the company. And that's quite important. Um, is this where crypto's heading? I sure as fuck hope not, um, because that's not really a very useful product. Um, that's not really that innovative. You're just saying, well, let's take something that is already done and let's just copy that into something that is not really suited for it, as we were saying earlier. Um, it's great if people want to be able to buy into these things, but like, actually, as you were saying earlier, figure out a way where you can actually go out and form a common holding for people to actually yes. buy, buy companies someplace else. It's the wrong solution to the right problem. Um, there's a lack of financial inclusion and lack of financial literacy. Uh, if I want to buy one Apple share, uh, I need to somehow clutch together nearly $1,000 to do it. Um, like if I'm just starting out um, or I'm in university and I'm trying to learn about you know and build a portfolio, uh, or I just really care about that company and have a personal affiliation with that brand. That's a hell of a financial barrier. Where's the thing where I can spend you know, $25 a month? And you'll see there's a, there's a few companies now like Free Trade and Robinhood. And um, there's one in the UK called Plum. Uh, getplum.com there are many others like it that will do uh, they've basically done that they've gone out and they've kind of pulled together investor assets and and invested in a company and they manage that as a sort of fund and then you have a regular every month you might save $25 $50 and what they do is they manage that on your behalf and then gradually um, represent your uh, your value accretion um as as either dividends of cash or or whatever else it may be, as if you own that share, which is something you can do entirely without a blockchain. It's all about design and user experience. Um, and actually, I think that sort of mobile-driven wealth front end is, is really a, the next big thing to come at fintech. In fact, it's probably not the next big thing. It's the big thing um, that's that's really really happening in the fintech world at the moment. But you know, if you're going to use a something like a blockchain. Go back to what are these blockchains good for? What's DLT good for? And what's a token good for? Breaking the law. Well, (laughs) or something that crosses organizational boundaries globally and or solves the I need to know that what I see is the same as what you see problem. It's that infrastructure stuff. It's not the front end stuff. All righty. Let's move to the last story we have this week. Um, the block crypto, zero fees. Apparently, 0x has only seen $3,000 in ZRX transaction fees since its creation. So, can, can we just recap? Not, not 3000 a month, not 3000 a week, not 3000 a day. 3000 since it launched. Now, like, um, 
I know some startups are pre-revenue, and if you've watched a TV show of Silicon Valley, there's a whole joke about pre-revenue, pre-customer, pre-everything. But Jesus, this token, like the revenue numbers, like what customer adoption, like the amount of users of crypto, aside from uh, people who signed up for a wallet during the crypto boom, is astonishingly low um, for anything other than speculation. Uh, that's a real problem. And I get why the Biddle meme comes out, because they're trying to say build something um, that customers want. But that second part is that customers want, don't just build for the sake of building. So let's do a quick recap of 0x. So these guys um, were essentially uh, a protocol that allows you to build and a set of tools that allows you to build decentralized exchanges. And um, they were going to be, you know, they, they really established themselves. Um, uh, they were going to be um, kind of the, they were going to be the underlying token that powered that whole decentralized world but no material dollar value has been collected because decentralized exchanges didn't have volume uh therefore they weren't really seeing these transaction fees come through but even even where they did have volume um i i used a couple of these decentralized exchanges for a blog post i wrote last year about becoming a quadrillionaire and that was the first time that i i realized that you didn't actually need to use zrx because it was on the zero x protocol um and i didn't have to pay any and i was like well this is bizarre um the thing is, even where there is volume, you don't have to pay with these things. Like it's it's optional, and there have been some things that have famously come out and said, "Hey, you know, from a UI point of view, this is this is not a good thing." Or sorry, from a UX point of view, it's not a good thing. So let's let's just get rid of it. Uh, let's use the protocol; it's open source, but let's get rid of the rest. And a lot of the advantages that theoretically you get from using the ZRX token um, literally make no sense. So. Ridiculous idea, ridiculous product, um, ridiculous token. Congratulations for Biddle. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Uh, you're a harsh mellow, my friend. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's got to be honest here. I mean, come on, look at this. This thing's still worth $185 million market cap. It collected $3,300 in 18 months, and people are trying to leave it, not come into it. It's not like we're early. It's people have looked at it and gone, wow, this is a pile of shit. Let's go the other way. The economics are broken. I, I suspect there's a lot of smart developers in there that have built some interesting tech. It's figuring out how we can do that without the economics involved that it thinks going to be the interesting thing. And, and that will repeat itself in every single thing that has these utility tokens. And I've been saying this for a little while. Alrighty. Um, stories we didn't have time to cover. CCN.com, apparently a Fortnite store now accepts crypto, but only Monero. Um, actually, this this came to be incorrect. It said it. Um, Fortnite said it was a mistake. Um, but could we see uh, crypto in games in 2019? Petra was so excited when he put the story in about them accepting Monero, and I had to correct. <laughs> so I, I, we saw Steam had um, Bitcoin acceptance for a while. Uh, they pulled that because nobody was using it. We may. Uh, there's nothing to say we won't. And I know that uh, the Tezos project was very interested in in doing games. Hey, that might be a breakout thing we do and there is crypto kitties as well so um i, I guess it's did, already kind of a thing on the 31st of december backed raised um 182.5 million dollars um and they are looking at um kind of really coming into the space in a big way do you think they've just signed a blank check to achieve nothing um because they were trying to push bitcoin at starbucks they were trying to uh, really offer a, a, an options in a futures market in bitcoin specifically uh, I think those are kind of two different things. So, like, Bact is just an exchange as as is, although it's it's got more features as is Coinbase or Gemini. Um, but 
based on who its investors are, and I don't know, so this is only speculating, but it may just be the the CBC arm of of the Starbucks. So I'm not sure that it's actually Starbucks going, yes, we're going to absolutely do this, or Microsoft or whoever else got into it. Uh, it could just be, uh, okay, we can make money out of this deal and we've got a bunch of cash parked someplace and we need to invest it. Yeah, uh, who knows? It could be that thing where they just needed to get rid of $100 million. I, I think they probably only put in a small portion of it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I am being facetious as always. All right, from FX Street, India are going to legalize cryptocurrencies and uh, create a and actually regulate and legislate. Um, APNnews.com. Uh, some Nevada governments are using blockchain for public records. You can now get married on a blockchain, um, which looked a lot like APNnews.com, which I thought was going to be interesting about how are apes using blockchains. Um, there's some monkey business with them for sure. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the tweet of the week. Tweet of the week. All right, this link comes from Bitfly, um, and the uh, story here is because of the currently ongoing potential 51% attack on ETC, we have temporarily increased block confirmations on our mining pool. We'll notify you once the network has stabilized again. Uh, 51% attack, ETC, remind everybody, Colin. So let, let's take that in reverse order. ETC is Ethereum Classic. So way back in 2016, when the DAO... Uh, collapsed and had a hard fork. Um, the thing that stayed the same and didn't follow the hard fork became ETC. Ethereum Classic is hence in the name. Um, ETH or Ethereum was the one that, that instituted the hard fork and basically said the hacker doesn't get the money. Um, so that, that's ETC. Um, ETC is significantly smaller than its uh, big brother Ethereum um, and it was 51% attack. What the hell is that? Well, if you're listening to Blockchain Insider, hopefully you know that the, the main important thing that a blockchain brings is protection against a double spend. Uh, this was actually in the, the first line of the, the intro of the Bitcoin white paper. Um, so what that means is essentially we have a distributed network of these digital tokens. We want to make sure that on that network there's not one person spending the same token twice or more. Um, and basically... If you are able to control more than 50% of the votes, since the 51, um, you can actually do that because you can say, hey, Simon, let me give you one token. And then five minutes later, I go, actually, you don't have that token anymore. Um, so that's essentially what happened. And it went uh, more than 100 blocks deep, I think even on multiple occasions. Um, so basically, it should have gone to zero um, by all logic. Uh, the, the value of the token fell like 10% over, over the day. Um, when I looked just now, it was back up to where it was beforehand. So obviously people don't care, uh, or at least Barry Shelbert doesn't care. Oof. Uh, well, yeah, that's the interesting thing. Like the market just appears to not care that this attack happened. Uh, it's, that's scary. Uh, <laughs> it is. And, and it says how many people are hodling or how many people are just like, oh, yeah, there's 51% attack and might lose this invisible um, money that um, was, was artificially inflated anyway. But uh, this, this tells me that there is a good chance that we are still um, in euphoria, even though we've fallen, what, 70, 90% from where we were. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that this stuff is still worth anything more than very close to zero uh, means that people are still ridiculous about valuations. 
There's the sentence uh, from which to finish on. Uh, Colin G. Platt, uh, we are out of time, um, so I'm just going to remind our listeners, this podcast is made by the fine, fine people at 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy uh, working to shape the next generation of financial services. Um, we have a platform called 11FS Pulse. You should check that out, uh, Google 11FS Pulse, where we call it our Netflix of fintech. It allows you to see behind the login screen. So let's say you're divining uh, or even biddling um, a new crypto wallet and you want people, you want to know what uh, all of the wallets in all of the world look like. We've taken videos of what it's like to uh, be behind the login screen, but also things like uh, Alipay. What's it? What's it like to sign up for WeChat? What's it like to sign up for Google Tez? What's it like to use Venmo? What's it like to use Square Cash? We got videos of uh, signing up, making payments, all that kind of good stuff. So Google 11FS Pulse if you want to find out more about that product. Um, and if you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, if you want to hear more Colin G. Platt, every single Thursday. Well, the subscribe button's right there. I, you could you could go into your phone right now and you could just click it. Um, but throw us a review if you've already subscribed. Um, and I know Colin G. Platt is backed by a field, but nonetheless, you could give us a review for his absolute astonishing performance on today's show, uh, being a harsh mellow. Um, uh, I'll be in London next week, but apparently Simon will be um, in a land down under or? Yeah, I'll be in Joburg. Um, be in Joburg, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it's, it's sort of almost down under. It's below the equator. By it's some below way, the so. equator. Well, the toilets go the other direction. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I seem to remember going there and flushing them and being really disappointed by the fact that like it didn't appear to be the case. It but worked in Australia, was... so you must have screwed something up. <laughs> yeah, I think I did. Um, I, I, I... <laughs> Enough about um, how things flush. Um, where could people find out more about you, Colin G. Platt? <laughs> Wherever you look, there I am. Uh, you can also look on, on Twitter at Colin G. Platt. All right. If you want more harsh, mellow Colin, uh, do follow at Colin G. Platt. Um, and you can get in touch with us. Uh, drop me an email, simon at 11fs.com, if there's anything uh, you want to pick up about or you want to mo- learn more about 11fs Pulse. Um, and do reach out uh, on Twitter at SYTaylor. Uh, I want to just thank our production team here, producer Petrit um, and our sound engineer, Alex. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week. Goodbye for now. <laughs>